Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be here this morning, and we're thankful that we woke up. And so my prayer now is that as we open up your word, as we reflect on the last 12 months, and as we look forward, that your spirit would fill us and guide us in such a way that the clarity that we have will be unmistaken for your will. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we have finally come to the end of 2014. Could you ever have imagined that it would have gone by this quickly? It feels like just 12 months ago I made resolutions that I knew I wasn't going to keep. (laughs) But the truth is, so often, even if you're not the kind of person that makes resolutions, there's still a part of us, I think, that we we think this year is going to be a little bit different because I'm going to do this differently. I think that's normal and that's a natural part of our human nature. We're always trying to find new ways, I think, to be better so that ultimately we can live happier, more fulfilling lives. And so it's that time of the year where we kind of hunker down in our minds and think about what am I going to do next year. Now, just for fun, I have a couple of slides that I want to show you of some of the most popular New Year's resolutions. Let's see if you fall into any of these. One of the, I think it was number 10 on the list that I found, is falling in love. So yeah, number 9 rather. Number 9 is falling in love. So people will start the year, say, this year I am going to find true love. Number 3 on this list is spend less and save more. Right? That's always something noble. The more money you have in your bank account, the easier a lot of things are in life. So that's number 3. Number 2 is get more organized. I know that's not a problem for any of us, but this is one of those that people say, okay, this year I am going to organize things in my life a little bit better. The hope is that the more organized you are, the easier things will be not only to find, but just to to live life. Now, what's the number one reason or the number one New Year's resolution? What do you guys think it is? Yes, it is. So these are some of our New Year's resolutions. Now, here's what's interesting about New Year's resolutions, okay? Here, the numbers are in, and this is what the numbers show us. 45% of people make resolutions. So about half of you in this room, statistically speaking, are going to make resolutions. 24% never succeed and fail. So 24% of the people that make resolutions are probably going to fail, and only, which is weird, right? But 8% are 100% successful. 8% of people are 100% successful at their New Year's, New Year's resolutions. So with numbers like this, it's easy for us to get kind of pessimistic about it. It's easy for us to say, well, statistically speaking, what are the chances that I am going to be one of the people that is going to keep a New Year's resolution? Statistically speaking, it doesn't look very good for us. So the thought is, well, why even make a New Year's resolution? So as your pastor and as your friend, I absolve you of having to make any New Year's resolutions because you're probably not going to keep them. I'm serious. You don't have to make a New Year's resolution. But I have something more for you guys to do, something different, something in place of a resolution. And here's what it is. Let's look at what Scripture tells us. It says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there doing business and making money. So the writer of the book of James is talking about how people are always making plans for 
tomorrow, for the next week, for the next year, for the next five years. You know, one of the things that we, we do, and I think if you work in any kind of environment um, where you actually have to go and there's goals that you have to meet, oftentimes organizations will say, well, this is what we want the next five years to look like. And so they make goals and make pro, um, prog, prog, what is the word I'm looking for? Yeah. And then they look forward five years and they say, in order for us to reach those goals, this is what we're going to have to do this year, the next year, the next year, the next year. And so this is what we do. This is, it's standard for all of life. And yet what the Bible writer says, he says, look, don't, don't say today or tomorrow we will go and do this or do that. Don't worry about making New Year's resolutions. Don't worry about all of those things. Instead, he says, because he says, yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You know, Jesus says some of these same words, and, and technically this is his cousin talking about this, or his half-brother. And he's saying, he's mirroring the words of Jesus. He's saying, look, life is so short, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. So the fact that you're trying to plan 10 years down the road, if you think you're going to have everything exactly the way you want it to be, he says, you are sadly mistaken. Because every one of you knows who has been alive for more than a day that plans don't always go as planned. Plans don't always go the way we want them to. And so this is where this, instead of a New Year's resolution, perhaps I could encourage you to do this, to say this. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or do that. So much of life, of your life, would be much simpler if you learned to take this posture. If the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or do that. So easy for us to get so wrapped up in the things that we want to do and the things that we want to accomplish. And it's good to have goals and it's good to work towards something. But always keep in mind that your goals and your plans and your ways may not be exactly what God wants. And so what the writer of the book of James is is saying, he says, have a posture of, If the Lord wills, then I will do this or I will do that. What if your New Year's resolution wasn't a resolution at all, but rather a a conviction and a commitment that you will be open to learning and listening to the will of God and where that will is leading you? And that's really difficult because we live in our own heads We have our own thoughts and our own feelings and our own minds. And yet the truth is, is if we could somehow align that will to what God wants, I think that life will be a little bit better. I believe that life can actually be more fulfilling and more filled with meaning and purpose if we allow God to set the course of our lives. And some of you are saying, that's awesome. Of course I want the creator of the universe to set the course for my life. Of course I want that, but how do I do that? How is it that we do that? And the truth is, it's never as simple as the preacher teaches. For instance, this coming week, at this last week of the year, I'm going to be sitting down with pen and paper or pencil, and I'm going to be writing down all the goals and all of the projects and all the things that I want to accomplish in 2015. And I'm going, to, I'm going to put them in categories on the different areas of my life that I feel need improving. And there are going to be goals across the board. And I'm probably going to fill up 10 sheets of uh, legal-sized paper because I have that much work to do on myself. 
and I'm going to put them up in my room or rather in my office, and I'm going to be looking at those in my Evernote constantly daily. Am I trying to reach the goals that I am setting for myself? But the truth is, is that those goals should best be put on an etch-a-sketch because the moment that God decides that's not what I have planned for you, God can shake that etch-a-sketch and say, okay, let's start again. Because what happens is I want to live so much for myself, and I do this subconsciously. The truth is, is that I would love to live for God and for God's will, but something about being human and being sinful makes me extremely self-centered and selfish, which means that I want what I want, God. God, this is my next five years of my life. And when you do that, you are going to go down the path that you are trying to carve for yourself. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow, yet you are trying to plan five years ahead. Instead, if we say, God, this is what I would like to do. This is what sounds good to me. But I also know that at any moment, Lord, you can switch it up for me. And what I want is for you to give me the sight to see when you are changing course for me. You see, the only real trick or formula to this, and and maybe, and I don't want you to be legalistic about what I'm about to say, so just take it as it is, is for you to daily be in prayer and say, Lord, where is your will taking me today? And it's not just in the morning. Because if you do it in the morning, that's great. I think you should do it before you even get out of bed, right? Before, before your knees hit the ground, you just pray that, Lord, may, let me see your will being done in my life. But then do it again at breakfast. Do it again on your way to work. Do it again before you watch your favorite television show. Do it again while you're standing in the grocery line waiting to pay for your groceries. Do it throughout the entire day. Lord, show me your will. And I promise you that God's will will become clearer and clearer the more you are open to where God is leading you. But you see, so much of the time we reduce God to only working in church. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to listen to a great sermon. The pastor is going to tell me kind of what he's been studying this week. And so we say, so at church is where God speaks to me the loudest. Or perhaps God speaks to me the loudest when I'm only reading the Bible. And what happens, I mean, how many of you read the Bible throughout the entire day? Yeah, no one, no, we can't, it's impossible. Even, I, I can't do it, and I, you know, it's impossible. So God doesn't, isn't just defined to church or to reading the Bible or to prayer, or rather, but it's when we open ourselves in prayer that God can then flow through you every moment of every day. What if? In 2015, you did something as simple as just continually bringing back your mind to God and saying, Lord, what is your will? Teach me, align me with your will. And so we go on. And the reason this is good news, because as Jesus says and as James echoes, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Okay, I um, whenever I spend time in, a, in the hospital setting, and often I only work when it's on call, so it's very limited, but when I do get called in, it's for the unexpected things. It's for the traumas, it's for car accidents, it's for kids falling off bicycles and skateboards. Believe it or not, I see repeat offenders, which is, you would learn the first time, but you don't. They weren't planning for that accident to happen in their life. So we can't even plan for five minutes ahead. We could try But there is no guarantee that what we planned is set in stone. 
And the reason that we want to trust God is because God can somehow stand outside of time. And he can see what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day. And so your choice is really simple. You can either choose to be open to where God is leading you, or you can choose your own way. And let me go to the next slide. Here it is. Isaiah says, and this is God speaking. He says, for my thoughts, this is God, are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. All God is saying is, just trust me. Because when you learn to trust me, you will be on more sure footing. Now I know the question. I know the question that is formulating and swimming around in your head, but how do I learn to trust God more? How do I learn? First of all, I would say look, look, pa- look in your past for the last 12 months and really look and ask the question, where was God present and I just didn't see that he was there? Because I guarantee you that even if you've experienced some really low moments in your life, I guarantee you that even in those moments, you can kind of see the hand of God in your life. So one of the ways that you can allow yourself to learn to trust or build trust in God is to look at your own life and see, where has God led me? But the other thing that I believe is of crucial importance, and we'll get there before we're finished today, is to look in the Scripture. Open the Bible and read the stories in the Old Testament. Look and see how God was faithful to those whom he called. Remember, a lot of the people, most, actually, probably all of the characters in the Old Testament did something that was horrible and bad, and God still was leading them. These were people that kept trying to go off their, onto their own path, and yet God continually pursued them and led them down the way that he wanted them to go because he knew that it would be better. I mean, these are stories that are popular even in our popular culture. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but there was a movie that just recently came out, and it's Exodus, right? It's the, a, a version of, of God leading the Israelites um, out of Egypt. It wasn't necessarily biblically accurate. They never are. It's Hollywood. They're there to make money. But it's still that story of that there was a path that Moses needed to to walk down. There was a path that God was leading Moses towards. And Moses made a lot of mistakes. But even in those mistakes, God was still able to use him to have a huge impact on as many people as possible. And God says, just learn to trust me. Read the stories in the scripture and see how God was present to people in the Old Testament. Because when we do that, or even in the New Testament, because when we do that, we can reimagine and reinvigorate that faith and that passion that says, if God did the impossible then, I know he can do the impossible today. We believe in a God who raised a man from the dead. The most impossible of all impossibles. Not just someone that had stopped breathing and then we do CPR, but a man who had been dead for a few days and God still gives breath to the dead. And we come to John. John the Baptist. He was a man of great influence. He was the man that actually baptized Jesus. And his disciples, the followers of John, were saying all these things. And we don't know if Jesus is the guy he said he is. And he's doing this and he's doing that. 
And John's response was, He must increase, but I must decrease. God, and rather in this case, Jesus, must increase in my life, and my wishes, my wants, my desires must decrease. This is difficult. This is difficult because we live in a society where it's not about what God wants, it's about what do I want. We live in a self-centered, narcissistic society where all that matters is me, and what the Bible tells us is counter-cultural. What the Bible is teaching us is that we must be submersive to the dominant culture of our lives. So it's not about you, it must be about God and his will and what he wants. And the only way that you can do this is by spending time in prayer. The only way that you can be open to God increasing in your life and you decreasing is by opening your heart to the Lord in prayer and just asking God, God, please, please, please change my heart. God, please change the way I think. God, please change the way I interact with the world. Because if you do, if you try to do it on your own, you won't be able to get there. You might be able to fake the way you feel about things or fake the way you interact with people about things, but only God can change your heart. The Bible uses the word that's called sanctification, kind of this process of becoming more holy. And there's no steps you take towards that. It's actually God working to transform your heart and your mind. All we can really do is be open to where God and how God is changing us. I think the best visual I can, I can kind of think of this. How many of you, I wish I had a picture. How many of you have been hearing about this kind of newer technology that can print things in 3D? You guys have heard of that? It sounds completely crazy, right? Like, how, I don't even know how that could work. Except that that's the best way I could kind of think of when I say, God, please transform my heart. It's almost like, God, please implant a new heart in me. One where you are lifted up and I decrease. And this is hard. Especially if you're married, this is hard. Because when you're married, each person wants to have their own way. When you have parents and children, each person wants to have their own way. When you're a part of a church, each person wants to have their own way. At work, everyone wants to have their own way, but only the boss gets his way, you know? But it's hard for us. It's hard for us because in our humanness and in our sinfulness, we just want our own way because we think it's the right way because that's how we see the world. But if we ask the Lord to continue to shape the way we see the world, I have no doubt, I am convicted that God will change. I know because I can look back on my life. I'm, I'm far from perfect, by the way. I'm like 90% perfect. But <laughs> I can look back. It's not a joke. You guys laugh at all the wrong things. No, but honestly, when I look back on my life, I can look back to when I was 33 years, I mean 23, 23 years old, to how I am now at 33, and, I can just, and all I can say is, thank you, God, that I'm not that fool. Because I was, I won't share what it was, and I wasn't like a bad person, but it was just, thank you, God, for continuing to work in my life. And I look forward to the next 10 years of my life to see where God is leading. But the only way that God is continuing to shape me is, I must be open. And there are things in my life that God says, you have to cut all this stuff out because all of this is getting in the way of you hearing my voice. 
So there is some work that you have to do. There are some things in your life that you need to cut off or cut away from your life. Because there are things that I'm preaching now, right? And I'm telling you what to do. And if you're visiting with us, you're like, see, that's why I don't like preachers because they keep trying to tell me what to do. I don't do it often. But I have no doubt that there are things in, in, in your life that are just getting in the way and suffocating the life out of you. And God is saying, just trust me, just get rid of some of these. Get rid of one thing this year. Because the payoff is enormous. Because the more in tune you are with God, the better the life you will be living. And while you're sitting here, you know what those things are in your life that you have to cut away. That thing that just came to your mind as I'm speaking, that's the thing that needs to go. And when that goes, God will have even more real estate in your heart and in your mind to continue to work. And then the last verse for this morning is Proverbs. This one we know well. And the proverb is, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways, and everything that you do, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So as we kind of bring 2014 to a close, my invitation to you is the invitation that God makes. I don't know how many times throughout the scripture, especially in the Old Testament, the invitation was, come to me. Come to me. God says, seek me and you will live. You can go after a million other things and they may make you happy for a little bit. But you all know that no one and nothing in this world can ever make you happy all of the time. Amen? Yeah. Not a person, not a husband, not a wife, not a boyfriend, not a girlfriend can make you happy all of the time. Right? A job isn't going to make you happy all the time. Having an endless supply of money isn't going to make you happy all the time. I'm assuming, because I don't know what that's like. (laughs) Having the nicest things isn't going to make you happy all of the time. Following God isn't going to make you happy all of the time. Because happy is an emotion. But allowing yourself to be open to the will and the voice of God will instill in you a joy. Knowing that no matter what may happen around you, first of all, your fate is sealed in the eternal God who wants to spend eternity with you. You see, heaven, we don't know what heaven's going to be like. I mean, there's like one verse in the Bible that kind of talks a little bit about how the the streets will be paved with gold, which is kind of a biblical way of basically saying it's going to be upside down. Because you walk on dirt here, but in heaven the dirt is gold. It's valueless. You don't need gold in heaven. That's all the Bible really says about heaven. But here's what we do know and what eternity life, the Bible does talk about eternal life, and what the Bible says about eternal life is that God will be there and you will be with God. And you will be with each other. Can't take anything to eternity. Probably not even your Bibles will be there. We we won't need to know the story because we will be living the story. Again, I'm only going off of what the Bible says, right? Not cultural teachings or anything like that. All we know that gets into eternity is God and each other. 
And we can begin to experience that reality today. You're not going to start to have, you're not, you're not waiting to start to have a relationship with God when he, when he comes back. When Jesus returns, the hope is that it will be a continuation of the relationship you have with him now. It's like this, and I'll finish with this analogy. If you've ever been in, rather, it's like being in a long-term, in a long-distance, rather, relationship. Now, today, technology has made it really easy. You can, you can Skype, you can FaceTime, you can text, you can call, you can email. You know, there's a million different ways. Like, so let's say, for instance, you lived... I don't know, five hours away from the person you love. What are you going to be doing every day, all day long? Texting, because you can't really call from work, (laughs) so you hide the text. Emailing, maybe, Facebook, all that stuff. You're going to keep connecting with them in any possible way, so that when you see them in person, the hope is that the relationship will be even better than it was. But you don't say, okay, we're going to date, but since we're five hours away, we're not going to start our dating relationship until I move closer. You don't do that. That's not a relationship. Then you're just getting to know someone. But rather, the the, the, the developing of that relation happens, and when you finally are in their presence, it's the best part of it. And when it comes to your relationship with God, that's why we stress reading the Scripture. It's not because it's going to make you a better person or get you more points in heaven. You read scripture because it teaches you about who God is and what God has done and what God can do for you. And you're saying, but I don't know where to start. Great. That's a great problem to have because on Thursday morning, unless you're like a a really ambitious, right, and you're not a procrastinator, on Wednesday night, some of you are going to start reading the Bible from cover to cover. We're going to be starting the one-year Bible. And if you're saying, like, I didn't hear about that. Yes, we've purchased Bibles. I don't know if we have any extras but I'd be more than happy to, to place an extra order for you if we have to, or Ron, I'm sure, can help us with that. Um, but one of our elders brought to us that we, it would be awesome if the church could read the Bible in a year. And what this Bible does, it is set up, so all you have to do is open to day one, and then it goes all the way through, um, through day, was it 352? 56? Something like that, I don't know. If you make it to 300, you're going to finish, but... And, and, and the reason we're doing that isn't because we feel like, oh, God's going to look down on us more favor- favorably. It's God already looks down on us favorably. Reading the scripture is just opening our reality and our eyes to the fact, wow, God's been doing this all along. It can happen for me today as well. And so if you want to be a part of that group, I ask you just talk to myself or to Ron after the service, and we'll order more Bibles. They're also available for you to download on Kindle, uh, Nook, Google Books, all that other stuff. So if you want to get started, because we believe that when we open ourselves to God through scripture and prayer, God will not only speak clearly to you, but God will change your life in such a way that when you look back on 2015, you will say, wow. And you will be humbled that God was so invested in your life. But you wouldn't have known it if you hadn't been open to that reality.
grown up now, but I still need help somehow. I'm not a child, but my heart still can dream. So here's my Christmas wish, my grown up Christmas list. Not for myself, but for a world in Would never start, and time would heal. 